All right, let's turn to Acts chapter 6. There we go. Acts 16, thank you. Just to read a few verses. If you have the Bible, don't worry, I'll read them from Acts 16, verse 16. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a a violent earthquake. that The foundation of the prison was shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and and when he saw the, the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought... The prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourselves. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You And your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night. The jailer took them. And washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. And set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. The word of the Lord. Well, I just want to look at that very familiar phrase. He says, what, what, sirs, what can I do to be saved? Or really, what can I do to, to get out of this mess? What can I do to live again? What can I do to, to find life, to be really alive? And, um, well, let's put it in the setting. The, the setting is, well, let's go back. Even this June, remember, in the 6th of June, there was a landing in Normandy, and uh, the Allied armies landed in France to liberate uh, France and the lowlands from an invading army, which had conquered them, 
and held them captive and people were in bondage. Some had uh, been taken out into, and taken to prison camps. Some uh, were in, in the resistance. Some collaborated. Most were filled with fear, but they were captive. But this army that landed on the 6th of June 1944 were, was sent to liberate them. Well, this I want to say this is a bigger Landing, and I'm not putting down what happened in 44. This is the landing in Europe of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the only thing that can set people free, this truth. And so it's an immense time. And uh, they landed. This beachhead is now made in, in, in Europe. And their message was, Jesus is the only person through which you can be set free. He's the only person that can put you right with God. And you have to put your trust in this person. And um, in a world of anxiety and fear, and one day we must stand before a holy God before whom stand as we fail hopelessly. The only hope is this person whom God has sent, Jesus Christ. That was their message. Well, let's look at this, this man, this jailer. Probably, uh, certainly an, uh, a Roman soldier got a, a decent job after more active service. He would be a put in charge of this prison in, in Philippi, this city of Philippi. A good job with pay and with pension and with housing, with security, with a bit of prestige and honor. A good job to land. And yet, it all just changes in a night. Every, his whole life just changes in a few m- moments, a few hours, as it were, when this storm, this earthquake comes. And life can be like that, can't it? Sometimes you wonder, what has happened? A phone call, an exam result, the boss calls you in, a medical report. A crisis comes. You think, what am I, how on earth are you going to get out of this mess? And some of you come this morning. Nobody knows, but you know, what is going on in my life? How on earth can I get life again? How can I find God again? How can I find purpose, anything? Well, let's look at the story. As we say, Paul has landed in, uh, in Europe, in Philippi, in this city. It's a great week. He's preached the good news. If we'd read earlier, we'd see that the first person who came, comes to faith is this businesswoman. She'd been locked into business and commerce, doing very well. She was a seller of purple, which is the top range. This is the Liberty Fabric. This is the best. And she made a lot of money. She was a, no doubt a wealthy woman. The best of all the textiles. And God opened her heart, it says. She saw the reality of life. She saw the purpose of life. Joy and purpose and meaning flood into her life. And she came to see it was all in Jesus. She was just a transformed woman. And then... And then we read the story about this slave girl. This slave girl has this spirit of divination. Literally a python spirit sent to be derived from the oracle at Delphi. And uh, this spirit of divination. And it was success. I mean, it, it was successful. It could, this spirit could predict the future. It wasn't just a fake. She got it right. And the owners made a fortune. But Paul, she goes around the city saying, look, these people are telling the truth about Jesus Christ is the only way. Paul one day said, this is enough. He turns around and he casts out this spirit. And this girl is released. 
She has this, she's just, life comes into her. She's, she's released. But her, her, her bosses are furious. Because when the next client comes on, she says, well, tell them what's going to happen. I don't know, I can't do it. I can't do it. And they're furious. Because she is their cash cow, really. It's not about it. She's, she's a source of valuable income. And so they, they bring her before the, uh, the authorities. I mean, you can talk about Jesus. You can talk about God. But when you talk about finances and business and outside there, no way. We can talk about religion, sing nice songs. But if it's going to impact me outside there, I don't want really to know. And these people are the same. You can preach, Bob, but don't affect my daily life. And so, of course, they, they, they get the crowds. And first of all, they play the race card. These are foreigners. That's all. They're for, they always blame the foreigners. They do it in Britain. Always blame the foreigners. They play the race card. Then they play the anti-Semitic card. They're Jews, of course. And and then, of course, they play the, the traditional card. These are just newfangled ideas. We like the traditional ways. And then finally, they play the democratic card. What do you think? Come on, how would you like it? Come on, how would you like your, your, your living taken away by these strangers, these Jews? Oh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't like that. So they dragged them to the magistrate and they have this kangaroo court. And they, cause get, they've not found guilty in the sense of just sentenced. And, uh, they're, Next thing they know, they're, they're in prison. And it says here in Silas, they're thrown in prison. And he says, guard them carefully. <laughs> guard them carefully. And he says, the jailer put them in the inner cell. The inner cell. And uh, they're fastened and their feet are in the stocks. The point, not only did it lock them in, it's, I'm told by the historians, that they get incredibly painful cramp when your feet are in separate stocks. And in pain. Well, you imagine that. Uh, it's difficult to imagine. It's not like any of our jails. It's Mediterranean heat. It's hot. There's no lose. It's the flies. Its back is raw. There's no analgesics, no aspirin, no paracetamol. Easy. These two guys are really suffering. They're really in pain. It's dark. It's smelly. It's fetid. It's hot. And they're just in agony, these two guys. And... Um, They're singing. They're praying and singing. And Silas says to Paul, what shall we sing? I said, I know. Let's sing one of Charles Wesley's. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) And can it be? No, he didn't sing that. He didn't sing that. Let's sing. Now, it's the easiest thing in the world. Some of you are going through a hard time. Easiest thing in the world because your circumstances are bad to start blaming the circumstances. Where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? We, we have this great mission. Where is God? Or else you never go against, uh, against the people. Romans never did, couldn't stand those people anyway. You know, or civil servants, you know, desperate. And it's easy to go laterally and have a go at people. But there's none of that. No, no. The great thing is they're just, they're just overwhelmed. God has called us here. We're in the middle of the will of God. This is in, the living God is using us. We have seen two people saved this week, delivered from hell and judgment into life. God, the living God, has used us. I mean, didn't Jesus say, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake? 
For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Didn't Jesus says, as what they did to me, they'll do to you. No, we're right in the middle of the will of God. We've never been more alive than before. Amazing. We're all, all things work together for good. They're just full of God. I mean, I, I'm sure they were in strange surprise at the presence of the Spirit working in them. Even though they chained. I don't know how they've chained and manacled in the stocks. But Jesus, didn't he say, I will never leave you? He's with us. Jesus is with us. It's amazing. What a privilege to work. And we have seen lives change. Anything is worth that. Anything. Any price is worth paying to see people saved. From a lost eternity into life. What's a few bleeding backs and smelly jails? And... um, Oh, it's amazing. What shall we sing? Anyway, we'll sing a few psalms. And uh, let's sing, you know, Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, we know that one. So they sing a few songs. And they are singing. I don't know how to explain this. I remember hearing an American, an Afro-American preacher. It's a while ago. I wish I'd really got it now. I can't find it. But anyway, and excuse the accent. It's, 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 Paul and Silas, he says, And they're in this cell. And their backs are sore, he says. They're really sore. They're in pain. Great pain. And it's dark, and it's dark, and it's hot. And they start to sing a song. They sing a song. And he says, their their song goes to the roof. And he says, then their song rises to the past the clouds. And he says, then their song rises to heaven. And he says, then their song rises to the throne of God, he says. And then God says, I hear a song. And the angels think, well, there are many songs. God says, I hear a song. And God says, I hear that song. And God starts to tap his foot. (laughs) And then there is an earthquake. (laughs) Well, it's taken a few liberties with the text, but you, you get the point. Anyway. Suddenly, verse 26, there was a violent earthquake and the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and every's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He's sure the prisoners must have made a run for it. And um, he, he knew that he would be responsible for their escape and he would... His life would be taken. It was how it, how it went. He knew that. It was the honorable thing to do. But he's there. You know, life can change so quickly, aren't it? You know, he's got a good job, a house with a job, and security, and people respect him. And just in a moment, he's, something enters his mind, and <gasps> circumstances change. And uh, But in the darkness... Here's these two men singing. Strange. And and he goes and he finds it. And there they are, sitting there as happy as Larry. Wherever Larry is, anyway. And he says, Sir, what can I do? What can I do to find life? What can I do to to, to, to get get what you've got? I don't think he's really saying, How can I get to heaven? I don't think he's saying that yet. But he's saying, how can I really live before man and God again? Is there any hope, he's saying. What can I do, he says. 
I need help. I need what you've got. Now, his life has hit the wall, the buffers, whatever, you know, and he's, he's desperate. And, um, but the question I want to ask this morning, really, for us as a church, is how shall we live that people would ask that of us, individually and as a church? Our passion is to see people saved. What must we do? How shall we live that people would ask that of us? What, what have you got that could lead me to, to the truth that you've got? That must be the question we must ask all the time, isn't it? Surely that's why we're here as a church. And um, what makes a person want to be a follower of Jesus? That's the question. What can we do as a as a fellowship, as a, individually? Well, that's the question I want to ask from that, using this text. Now, there is, there's a wrong way of doing it, you know? One of my great, not heroes, but great man I admire, is a man called Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is now in his 80s, lives in a beautiful state of Montana. I've sat in his ministry in Canada, and he's a great, some of you read his translation, the message, and he's a very, Wise, gracious man. Brought up in Montana. His dad was a butcher. His mother was a bit of a Pentecostal preacher. Let me read something. Are you sitting comfortably? I grew up in a Christian home with good parents. I was told the story of Jesus and instructed in the Jesus way. Then I went off to school and discovered what the Gospel of John called the world. This knowledge entered my life in the person of Garrison Johns, the school bully. About the third day in school, Garrison discovered me and took me on as his project for the year. I had been taught in Sunday school not to fight. I had memorized, blessed are those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. And most afternoons after school, Garrison would catch me and beat me up. I tried to find alternative ways home by making detours through alleys, but he stalked me and always found me. And then something unexpected happened. I was on, I was with my neighborhood friends on this day, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing and taunting, working himself up to the main event. That's when it happened. Totally uncalculated. Totally out of character. Something snapped within me. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness. And I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise, under his, I really, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground and sat on his chest. And pinned his arms on the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless. At my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. And I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose. A lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black his eyes, bust his teeth. A torrent of biblical invective 
poured forth from them. Then I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. That's not the way to do it. How shall we do it? Well, the first thing is this. He hears them singing in, in the prison. He's amazed. He's, he, he hears this sweet tune. He's never heard it before. He, see, he, he senses something of the fragrance of Christ. Something moves him to the core. There's something u- unique Here's these people, these two men in the face of incredible hostility and and brutality and bodily pain and and personal injustice. And they're not moaning or complaining, they're singing and they've been severely flogged. And the Romans knew how to flog people severely. They went to the bone with the flogging. Yet, they're sure that God is with them. There's something that rises above the punishment. It's, it's something transcendent and it, it touches him. And that's, what, that, and that's what it has to be, my friends. Because all of you will face injustice out there or somewhere in the world. And we have to rise above it in worship. Not just on Sundays, which is lovely when we have a good band like this. And we've got to be different. We've got to overcome things with grace. I could give dozens of illustrations. Let me tell you one you, you may remember in 2006 in Nickel, uh, Nickel Mines community in um, Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. And a small Christian Amish school, just a one-room one school. Charles Roberts, for some strange reason, goes there with an automatic rifle and he shoots and kills seven, no, sorry, five of the little girls between seven and twelve, and injured severely several others. And so that the whole community is in mourning for these lovely, five lovely little girls that have been shot. Of course, then he turns the gun on himself and he takes his own life. Of course, the press move in like a, you know, an army of bees. And uh, and the, the leaders say, and, and the parents say, we, f- we forgive this person. It's amazing, you know, we want him, we want the world to know that there's no bitterness in our heart. We forgive this person. But the thing that struck the, the community and, and the nation, and all of us who read it, was that they started a fund for the mother of, sorry, his wife, who had children, because she was now a widow, and these children were now fatherless. And they set up a fund to pay, this Amish community to pay for the schooling of these children. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's gone beyond. We're called to live extravagant lives of grace. It's not easy. We need the power of the Spirit. Or let me illustrate again. Christian workers in Saudi Arabia. She's, in, she's invited to a friend who's a Muslim. 
and um, she's known a while. And uh, the, this Muslim friend of hers said, will you come downstairs? So she goes downstairs. Oh, she, she, was, she decorated it. That's it. She, so she went downstairs. And um, there was 80 people in this basement. And she says, who are these? Well, she said, we want you to tell us about Isa, about Jesus. And because it's, it's, it's some know better than I do in this room, you know, you don't do things like in, in Saudi. It's a very dangerous thing to do, to preach the gospel. And, and but she said, well, come on, tell me. How did this happen? Because, well, she said, it's my husband's here, and it's my family and friends. Well, yeah, I know that. He says, you're safe. I mean, it's capital punishment to preach the gospel if you're going to do that in public in Saudi. And, um, well, she said, actually, she said, you know, we have a Filipino house girl, house, housemaid, and she sings songs all the time. She's always joyful. And I asked her, what are you singing about? And she said, she was singing about Easter, about Jesus, and giving thanks to God for Jesus. And so I, I, I asked her again, and again, and again, I asked her about Jesus. And she told me about Jesus. And I committed my life to Jesus. Then my husband came to Jesus, and then family, and many of my friends. And some of them in this room are, are, are seeking. So we would like to tell you all about Jesus. All because one Filipino housemaid kept singing and living the life of Jesus before them. Now, that's the first thing. If we are to reach the world, we have to be full of the love of God, the joy of the Lord, right? And we have, and we have whatever our problems are, we have to ask the Spirit to, to, to go beyond that. But isn't it true that? It's true, isn't it? That, um, do you, th- you think of the people who led you to the Lord? Who, who I can think, I can think of two, two men now. One of them actually preached. Some of you may remember Hazelmere 40 years ago, 30 years ago. He's dead now. But he and his friend, his friend I went to his 90th a few weeks ago. These two men had an immense life, immense impression on my life to bring me to Christ. But the great thing I remember, they were just full. And the 90-year-old is still full of the joy of the Lord. The world is, is enough miserable people out there, my friends. We have to be people who are full of the joy of the Lord. We have to sing songs in the night. And that, that's, that's what this, this guy was struck by, right? Um, there's no power supply in the kingdom. That's why, you know, if we had time, we'd pray for everyone in this room that we that we'd get really plugged in and charged up every day. We've got to go out there and be full of the joy of the Lord, right? The second thing is that um, the jailer's amazed that they're still there. Why didn't, why didn't they make a run for it? And, uh, you know, he, he, he'd had no concern for them. He'd put them in the inner cell. He'd put them in the stocks as well. And uh, he'd never bared their wounds. And um, here's the singing. And, and the, the, the earth shakes, a massive earthquake. And he's terrified. He knows what, and he goes there, his, his, his prison, his, his jail is in, in ruins, just a few walls. And he, he knows all the, the prisoners must have legged it, must have gone. And he knows that, 
that will for, he'll have to forfeit his life. If he doesn't do it himself, the representative Caesar will come and do it for him. And so he draws his sword. But the first thing he hears is some, one of these two guys saying, don't harm yourself. We're still here. And he's amazed. Why would they have any care for him? Why, why would these Jewish people have any care for him, these Christians? Kill yourself. You know, you deserve it. Now, don't harm yourself. He's their enemy. He's a Roman. The Jews hated Romans, you know. But these two men, have this, they have a, a compassion for him. It's amazing. I mean, why should Paul and Silas be like this? What concern of his, is it of them for his good? These followers of Jesus are peculiar people. They're full of love for non-believers. What makes them care? You know, Jews hate Romans. It was fair enough. Why are they showing this care and thoughtfulness? It's strange, isn't it? It's amazing. And that's why he says, it, it strikes him, well, what must I do then? To, to put my life right, to, to get my life in order, the mess I'm in, I'm in a desperate mess. What must I do then to find life, to find your God? You see, you can't understand the early church until you understand this love they had. They would take risks. In fact, there was a group of Christians called the Parabolini. You remember in Philippians 2 that it says of Epaphroditus, he risked his life, and the word risk is the Greek from parabola, which is the Greek for dice. He, he risked his life. And so a group of Christians right through the empire were called the Parabolini. And they went when anywhere, anywhere they could where there was maximum danger. And they would go when there was problems, disease, and the poor, they would go. I mean, for instance, in Carthage in 252, Cyprian, the bishop, said to these people, you know, we've got to go there. People were dying in the street. The, 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 this huge city was ravaged by plague. The Christians went in, buried the dead, cared for the sick, and the, 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 the city was saved. Now, I could give you hundreds, hundreds of illustrations of that. I mean, they just cared for the poor. You can't understand it. It wasn't just preaching. They had a love for the unlovely people who hated them. And they went for the poorest, the neediest. They cared for them. Emperor Julian said, these Christians not only feed their poor, they feed, they look after our poor. That was it. They, they are the parabolini, the risk takers. Well, we could develop all these points. They were full of joy. They, they had love for non-Christians. And the third thing is, which doesn't really relate, strictly speaking, to the jailer. What was the first thing Paul did? The last line of the chapter, it says, and they went... To, the, to Lydia's home, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Paul said, the first thing he wanted to do, I want to encourage the Christians. I want to make sure they're blessed because he loved the people of God. He loved Christians. If we are to have an impact on the world, we have to love one another. There has to be a, a demonstration of the love of God. Not just here on Sunday, see you next week. There has to be a 24-7 caring for each other. There's not to be a needy person among this committed body of people. And the world will see that. You remember in the Old Testament, the, the, the nation said, where is your God? We have idols, we have statues. 
You've nothing. No, our God has no body parts. He is invisible. He's, he's, he doesn't like that. Of course, then Jesus came. And uh, you could then say, you know, no one has seen God at any time, but God, the one and only Son, has made him known. Yeah, but you say, well, I, I agree with that, but that's 2,000 years ago. Where is God today? Well, the Apostle John says, no one has seen God. But if we love one another, God dwells in us. In other words, where will God make himself visible on earth today? Where the people of God love one another. That's what we have to do. It's not good. It's not enough to go to a membership class and tick all the boxes. I'm in. You know, count me in. I'm a member at that church. No, no. There has to be a total commitment, a lifestyle commitment that these people are my people. If there's need in this church, I am part of the answer, and we are totally need to care for each other. And all the church said, "That's what it's about. That's what this church is about, or should be, right?" How, what's God like? No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, he dwells among us. Now, we could, there are only point, big points we could develop. Let's go back quickly. I must finish. Goodness me. The, 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 the prisoner. Anyway, I'll have to miss some of this out. But it, he's just transfixed by this, this, these two men who were... You know, and the other prisoners don't make a bolt for it because they, they've never seen anything like it. They're just transfixed by these two men who are in love with the living God. I don't know why they don't run away. They just can't get over it. And, and the, the, the jailer knows they're not criminals. I mean, the whole city knows actually, because you know this this slave girl has gone around and said these these men are telling you the truth. They're, they're telling you the way of life. And um, and now Paul and Silas are in jail. And but this girl is free, and there is a price to pay to follow Jesus. She is free, but they're in jail. There is a price to pay. If you if you study the church in China now, they will still tell you not only just Brother Yon and the Heavenly Man. They will tell you our greatest place of evangelism were in the prisons. We're a captive audience. <laughs> And thousands were converted. And China has seen the biggest revival this world has ever seen of people coming to a living faith. And it started by evangelists and pastors and preachers and ordinary Christians who were prepared to pay the price, go to jail, that others may come to find Christ. And that's what it's about. And um, so these, that's how it goes. These two men are in prison. Their passion is the honor and glory of God. And that is served by seeing men and women find the living God. And um, they weren't, he wasn't converted by earthquakes. You don't, let, don't pray for earthquakes. Now Paul says he spoke the word of God, the word of the Lord to them and to all the, the, them in their house. People aren't saved by earthquakes, unfortunately. Unfortunately, they're saved by the word of God. It's not even sufficient to pray. People have to hear the witness, the truth. Well, was he genuinely saved? Well, he bared their wounds, which is always a good one. If somebody starts caring for Christians, right? He, give, he gives them hospitality, right? He looks after Christians. He's baptized, right? And he's filled with joy. If you have those four things, I think you're on the way to be a Christian. 
you baptize, you fill with joy, you're caring for Christians, and your home is open to Christians. So we must, I must close. This, is, this man is genuinely converted. He genuinely comes in the kingdom. And he brings all his household in. What did, and and Paul, Paul, what did Paul say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This Jesus is God's and God has become a man. And some of you, some of you come every week and you're not, you're not fully committed yet. You've come because others come. It may be this morning. You have to say, well, I don't see him. I don't see him. I don't, I'm not asking you to see him. I'm asking you to believe the word of God I have spoken to you. Put your trust in him. I don't, I'm not asking you to understand. I'm asking with an act of the will to trust this living God whose name is Jesus, who's come and we sung these wonderful songs, who died for you. And you'll find life, you'll set you free, you'll find hope, you'll find purpose, you'll find meaning. And some of you Christians, you're in a real hole, you're in a pit, you're in a desperate place. I'll tell you why, and I'm the same. We take our eyes off the Lord. Christian, you think, why am I in, why is such a crisis? What is God's word for me today? Have a guess. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus and your he will start unraveling the mess, right? Christians, you have to do this. You've taken your eyes off. You've worried. You're, you've looked at problems. Believe this. That's why you came this morning. It's a bank holiday. You should have done the garden or the garage or something, but you're here. Praise God, right? Why did you come? I'll tell you because this is the word of God to you, Christian. Believe, trust. You may have been a Christian for 50 years, but you've taken your eyes off the Lord. And that's why you're worried, you're anxious, you're, you're not going to draw your sword, but you're... You're desperate. Final thing. A, a riddle. A riddle. See how clever you are. What is the one thing you get more of the more you leave behind? What is the one thing you get more of the more you leave behind? What is the one thing you get more of the more you leave behind? I'll tell you, I'll tell you the non-Christian answer. The non-Christian answer is footprints. But actually, if you leave the truth of God and the love of God and the grace of God behind, you cannot believe how the world will change. You can change a family. You can change a street. You can change an office if you leave love and truth and grace behind. And you can even change a town, a city, a nation. Who knows? Right, come on, John. Let's pray together while John's coming up. Father, I just pray as we think now in these last few minutes that you will help us apply our hearts, that we can get into the good, that we can find this wholeness that you've offered to us again as believers and unbelievers this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory and honor. Amen.